0: for those who might find it interesting to know, I sometimes my process for preparing a message, um, you know, if we're in a series and I'm preaching often, then it's a weekly preparation. I knew I was speaking this message many months ago, and so I was preparing in the summer for this. And then um, not that long ago, just in the last week, all of a sudden something else clicked in my heart. And... I thought, I think I'm supposed to follow it in this particular direction instead. So bear with me as this, who knows how this comes out, but we're going to trust the Lord together. We're going to end up in the book of John. That's where our main text will be, John chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, I do want to hear your papers. Um, John chapter 20 is where you can turn to. But as you're turning to John 20, I want to set up where we're going today by reading three short passages from the book of Acts. I hope you've spent time in your... Um, devotional world, reading through the book of Acts, it is God's work through Jesus Christ continued through the church, starting in Jerusalem, but going outward around the world. And I've noticed there's a trend of a certain particular kind of work that the Spirit did through the church, not just leadership, but it seemed to be a cultural element in the church. And I wonder if you'll identify this as I read through a few quick selections of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, after a significant riot that Paul and others were sort of victim, you know, among, it says this, chapter 20, verse 1, it says, when the uproar ended, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, now think about this, what had the Christians just witnessed? A riot against the movement of Christianity. What's the response of the church leadership? Gather people together, bring Encouragement, and he said goodbye as he set out for Macedonia. Verse two, he traveled through that area, speaking many words of what encouragement to the people. If you are following along in Scripture, you can flip with me now backward to chapter sixteen, verse forty. Um, Paul and his friend Silas have been beaten for proclaiming the message of Jesus. They've been imprisoned for proclaiming the message of. Jesus, that's got to be a discouraging streak of events for some church leaders. How do you feel if you're some of the local Christians in the area? Do you feel confident in your faith, or are you feeling a little bit sheepish? With that in mind, listen to verse 40, chapter 16, verse 40. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, uh, if that's my translation, I ran for the hills. Not Paul and Silas. Uh, After they came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Wouldn't you wanna run for the hills? (laughs) This place does not like me, I'm out of here. No, they went back to somebody's home. Why? What was the word there again that came up? To encourage people. Now, if you're going with me in Acts, go backwards again to chapter 14. Um, chapter 14, listen to verse 19. Again, there's been a commotion, and it says Then some of the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won a whole crowd. So there's a mob. They stoned Paul. So they grabbed large stones and they stoned Paul and they dragged him outside of the city because they thought he was dead. So he was beaten so severely that they looked at him. Maybe they even checked to see if there was much of a heartbeat or anything. Ah, oh, he's done drag him outside of the city, making a public spectacle of, here's how we treat people who follow Jesus. Verse 20, but after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and, listened to this, and went back into the city. Which direction do you want to go after an event like that? Paul goes back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. Verse 21 says this. He preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So there was this mounting pressure and opposition to the point of mobbing, beatings, violence. And what's the response? Run for the hills? No, run back towards and bring encouragement to the believers who are there. When you think of John, we've been studying the book of Revelation this year. He's writing from an island called Patmos. Why is he on Patmos? Because he was leading at least one church, perhaps a group of seven churches. And at some point he would have been confronted by local Roman authorities. You need to tell us that you also believe Caesar is Lord. It's fine if you do your community groups, whatever you do in your sect, but you must acknowledge Caesar is Lord. And John refuses. And so he's exiled and imprisoned on Patmos. He would not deny Jesus. When you read through the New Testament, you see it's not just church leadership. It was the movement of all the people. They walked out their faith with an unusual courage. And some of it had to do with the way the leadership kept going back to the church, even in the face of more threats, and brought godly encouragement to them. I guess a question for us to consider would be this, what could the people of God be capable of if they had just a little more courage? You think of those Muslim converts to Christ in Ethiopia. I wonder if they might have more courage than you and I. Uh, We've been following Jesus for longer than them, But I'd happen to wager that I think their courage has been strengthened more than ours has. And it's not our own fault. We live in a different culture, different part of the world. But what could you and I be capable of with just a little more courage? We're in this series called The Renewal of All Things. And today, one of our five prayer priorities for this year, number two, is courage. And I want to give just a few moments to the subject of renewed courage. Some of you, as you reflect on your life, you look in the rearview mirror and you're like, man, there were some seasons where I had courage and I think I've lost my nerve. And could there be something that from the word brings a renewal of courage? Some of you, as you look at the rearview mirror, you're like, I don't think I've ever had courage. I don't need a renewal of courage. I just need a newel of courage. Whatever category you're in, God's word has something for you today. As you go with me now to John chapter 20... The question we're going to ask this text is, where does real courage come from? I'm not talking about euphoric forms of courage that our world and society and culture offers because of mob mentality or because of liquid courage or whatever it may be. I'm talking about the kind of courage that can only come from God. Where does real courage come from? Before we read the text today... As we approach the Gospel of John, let's just be re- reminded together that John, a disciple of Jesus, is writing a gospel, an account of the story of Jesus. And he has a distinct purpose in mind. He wants his hearers and his readers to behold the life of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and the light of Jesus so that they can trust and follow him. So that's the tone he writes with throughout his whole Gospel letter. Secondly, this is important to know about the Gospel of John. When you think of John, I want you to think of a A wave. This is easy for us. We live close to the ocean. But I want you to think of a wave that's just gradually growing and rising and rising and rising. And the gospel of John reaches its absolute peak. So the moment the wave is at its tallest is John chapter 20. And after John 20, there's one more chapter. And the text we're in today, verses 19 through 23, that's when the wave crests. And then as the book ends, it brings impact and beauty to the shore. So we're at a very pivotal, important moment in the book of John. In fact, these four verses that we're going to look at, 19 through 23, is where we ask, where does real courage come from? Let's read it together right now. On the evening of that first day of the week, where are we in John's story of Jesus? Jesus has just been crucified. Rumors early the next morning have begun circulating that the grave is empty. He's no longer there. And there's curiosity. There's confusion. And as we'll read, there are other big feelings swirling about. On the evening of that first day of the week, by the way, what was the first day of the week according to this text? Sunday. Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus changed not only Judaism and Christianity forever but calendars forever the first day of the week on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews does this sound like a courageous brave group (laughs) I mean if if you read backward in the gospel stories this group was they were daring they did some pretty impressive stuff But here they are now, cowering in fear, behind two sets of locked doors, and it says they're afraid of the Jews. What happened? Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed his hands and his side. He had been resurrected. He wanted them to have the opportunity to see this is indeed him, this is him. His hands are pierced, his side has a wound there's healing, but there's still scars on his body. This is Jesus. This isn't a phony. This isn't somebody else. This is him. They bear witness to his resurrection. And again, Jesus said, verse 21, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, and some people are thinking, I hope he had a mint. There's a lot of hummus in the Middle East back then. Uh, He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive, this is an interesting text, we're not going to unpack verse 23 deeply, but I want you to listen to it anyway. He says this, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And a simple way of maybe understanding what's going on in that verse is to think about two words, remain or receive. It's as if Jesus here is saying, if you present the gospel to people and they decide to remain in their independence, sin then they will not be forgiven. But if you present the gospel to people and they receive the good news of Jesus, they will receive forgiveness. So where does real courage come from? I think there's so many things that live in this text and I could go on and on about many, many of them, but I've reduced the list to four for us to think about today. Where does real courage come from? Number one, from a divine mission. Divine mission. Divine mission. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Several years ago, when our oldest son, he's 16 now, he was probably six at the time, um, we were at home in Victoria. Laura had to step out for something, so she drove off to a store somewhere. And I was working in my office, which was detached from the house in a garage that had been renovated. And um, Lyndon and the other kids were in the home doing their thing. Laura had left them all arranged and nice and safe. And uh, there was a message relayed to them that I indeed was home, and so they kind of knew that. Anyway, Lucy happened to get, I think, her finger pinched in the gate, or so, baby gate or something like that. So she's in hysteria. And Lyndon, he's the oldest, he's about six years old or so at the time, tries to help her and calm her, realizes I, she needs mom. And all Lyndon remembered was that mom went to the store. So, um, I guess Lyndon may have thought Dad would be of no help in this moment at all. Um, I'm not sure. Lyndon didn't even put on shoes. He ran for over a kilometer until he got to Thrifty Foods, because that's where he thought Laura was. And time passed. We got a phone call from somebody in our small group. They said, uh, Lyndon's in Thrifties with me right now in his socks. He thinks you're here. And we're like, oh, my goodness. Um, what a hero. I mean, when, We wanted to ream him out for being so cavalier and what are you thinking? But at the same time, I just thought, my goodness, the love he has for his sister and the conviction he had that I can get help. When someone's on a mission, they have courage for stuff they usually wouldn't have, right? And why do some of our versions of Christianity or churchianity in the Western world seem so anemic? We've probably forgot that we're on a divine mission. Some of us have bought into the idea that we're actually on our own mission. The Bible is about me and self-help, and it's going to make the best version of me, and we read Scripture through the lens of me, 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 and then we get disenfranchised with things and have to deconstruct things because we were at the center of it, not Jesus. Friends, there is a mission for you to be part of, but it's not you. It's not your agenda. It's God's heart and what he's been doing on earth since he began it all. And Jesus said, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And the word Jesus used, or the word that scripture gives us in the original text in Greek, is apostello. As the father apostello me, it means to be sent. That's where we get the word apostle from. The word apostle in the New Testament isn't meant to be sort of like this capitalized A apostle only position of leadership. The whole church was sent on mission. And they borrowed this word apostello from the word of the Greek and Roman empires when they wanted to conquer new lands, they would send ships full of culture shapers, doctors, engineers, builders, people of influence, politicians, all on a ship, and they would add new civilians to the new lands they had conquered, and those ships were sent to bring to that new area uh, the culture of Greece or the culture of Rome, so that if the emperor of Rome ever showed up in Ephesus after it was conquered, it would be in Ephesus as it was in Rome. Why? Because people were sent there on a mission to bring the culture of Rome to Ephesus. I use that as an example. All of a sudden it makes a little more sense when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Pray that, God, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. You and I are to bring the culture, the essence, the heart of God from heaven to earth. You are sent on that mission. It's a divine mission. It's not yours. It's his. And when people live on mission, they have courage for things they may not have had before. Just a couple stories really quickly. Um, Through August and September, we had a campaign we called Sell a Thing, where we encouraged every household, find something to sell. It could be even just a little thing, doesn't have to cost much. But sell it, and then let's donate the funds together toward the work of this missions team in uh, projects that they're doing at Shadow of His Wings in Guatemala, this work that is caring for orphans and widows in a very, very needy part of Central America? What if we could help build a second level on a building? What if we could do other good works? Could you just sell something? Let's follow in the footsteps of our ancestors in the faith. We saw them doing it in Acts. Why don't we do it ourselves? And so our goal was to see if we could raise $5,000 towards that. I got a wild phone call a few weeks into this campaign, and I was informed that somebody had dropped off a check for $10,000 to sell a thing. I don't know what they sold, but friends, that took some courage. Where does that come from? The gospel of Jesus transforms one person's life, and they realize, I want others to experience this too. I'm not on my own mission. I'm on his mission. It's a divine mission, and unusual courage came to that individual. and So instead of raising $5,000, I'm pleased to let you know today, we've raised over $13,000 for all the projects. So I think that's fantastic. I heard a story from a couple in our church who have been very intentional about reaching into their neighborhood, getting to know their neighbors, inviting people over, saying yes when they're invited over, finding ways to serve. In fact, one of the groups in our church did a serve project right in somebody's backyard, helping repair some things for a single mom. It takes courage to keep serving and keep loving and keep presenting opportunity to have a spiritual conversation. And sometimes they felt the rejection of no thanks, no thanks, no thanks when it came to spiritual conversation. And just the other week, this neighbor came to them and said, is there like any, does your church like have a group of ladies that learn to read the Bible together? Well, that's a wonderful thing to hear from a neighbor you've kind of felt like pushed away from a little. It seems that God's on a mission in neighborhoods. He's doing something in the Comox Valley, and he's looking for partners. And if you would follow him in his mission, you know what's supplied to your soul? A fresh wind of courage. Second thing. First is divine mission supplies a sense of real courage. Where does real courage come from? Secondly, divine peace. Jesus shows up. They're scared. Kind of makes sense that he says peace. Yeah, yeah, peace. But this is significant. These are the first words of a new world. Peace be with you. Shalom. The peace that we have in God is unlike any other peace available in the world. In our part of the world, we have a lot of hippie-dippies here on the island that love, uh, you know, just, we're kind of spiritual people, whether people are in Christ or not, right? And so many people are pursuing a sense of reality through New Age or whatever it is and there are all kinds of practices that occur, and it's in attempt to achieve peace. Friends, the good news of the gospel is you can never achieve peace, but you can receive it. You can't generate it. You can't do enough meditations or spiritual exercises to make peace happen. But you can slow yourself, still yourself, and listen to the words of Jesus, the only one who has the authority to actually commission peace to go from his heart to your life. You can listen to him say, peace, still. And as you think about your life and your circumstance and your situation, is there pain? Is there challenge? Is there chaos? Is there despair? Hear the words of Jesus to you today. Peace be with you. Where does divine courage come from? I think when we're wound up in anxiety and we hear Jesus in our midst say peace, I think courage begins to emerge divine mission, divine peace, thirdly, divine presence. Where does real courage come from? This sense that we're not alone, that God is with us. Do you notice what happened in this text? Jesus stood among them. Did you picture it when you when you were reading it, when you heard me read the text? They're afraid, they've locked the doors and boom, all of a sudden, I mean, that's another reason why Jesus had to say peace. He just showed up in a locked room. So they're a little alert, afraid concerned. And it says, he stood among them. Now, the Greek word used for stood is a commonly used Greek word for this idea of standing there. But there's this idea built into that Greek word that Jesus stood in a way in which he was immovable. Oh, you're afraid? Let me stand in that place. Let circumstance, situation try to push me away. I'm not leaving. You're not alone. I'm Emmanuel. I'm with you. Does that give you courage? I think so. And then what else does Jesus say to affirm this sense that God is always with them? He breathed on them and then said, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God that dwells in us and moves upon us to empower us to live full lives for him and his mission in this world. His Spirit is always with you. You don't have to feel it to believe it. You could just trust his Spirit is with you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could live with a little more awareness that the Spirit of God is always with us? This week, you're going to have a moment where you, you feel anxious about something, nervous about something, uncertain about something. What I'm praying for you is that in that moment, there's a picture of Jesus showing up in the locked room of your life, firmly planting his feet. Peace be with you. And he's immovable. You can't shove him away. He's there. He's with you. I think divine presence builds a sense of courage in somebody's soul. There's one more thing I wanna draw attention to. Where does real courage come from? That sound woke some of you up, I'm thankful. (laughs) Divine mission, divine peace, divine presence. I wonder if you noticed in this text the fourth thing, divine community. Did you notice the community language in this passage of scripture? It was the first day of the week, and where were they? What was the word? Together. Jesus showed up and stood among them. There was more than just one. They were together. He was among them. When he said, peace be with you, the word you in the Greek is not singular. It wasn't like he was like, peace be with you, and you, and you, and you, from (laughs) Sound of Music. Um, It was plural. Peace be with you. It's for the corporate It's for the group. It's for the community. His peace, his presence, his mission, his courage comes when we are together. Have you ever found more courage just by being together with some people? (laughs) Please don't raise your hands. But uh, how many of you have been in a car when uh, somebody in your car mooned somebody as you were passing by? (laughs) Don't raise your hands. I don't want to know. I don't think it happens that often these days anymore, and probably for good reason. But where does that kind of notion come from? group of people just getting a little goofy together, and you think, okay, see those two older people in that car that we're going to pass? Anybody ready? We're going to do this? Okay, here we go. And up goes the bottom, down goes the pants, and off you go past. People don't do that by themselves. I mean, it's a little hard. (laughs) It's a little hard. I would, uh, it, If you've done it, just anonymously let us know, because that's remarkable. <laughs> but it takes a group, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, silly illustration, but you get the point. When you're together with others in a context of faith, there is a supply of courage that only God could bring. I think it's important that we phrase it today the way we have divine community. You see, We live in the Comox Valley, it's a community. Some of you serve in a variety of ways right in the life of our community. It's wonderful, I'm glad you do. Some of you are on committees for schools, for causes in town. Some of you are on volunteer teams and task forces. It's wonderful that you are, please keep doing it. You're on the mission of God. But those are not divine communities. A divine community is a gathering of people that are centered only in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that happens when a community of people are centered only in Jesus Christ, there is a supply of courage that you wouldn't normally have access to. And it's not courage for you to go do this thing selfishly for yourself. It's courage to be on the mission of God in the world of God. This fall, our church-wide priority is for you and I to connect and grow together. After Thanksgiving, we're going to go back into the Revelation series for seven weeks, and we want to invite everyone to participate in midweek conversations about what we're talking about on Sundays. See, it's fine for you to sit and sort of listen to a sermon and all that, but the impact goes much deeper when we kind of rehash it together with others, and Jesus is at the center of that conversation. I want you to see this. There's three different ways that you can get connected to one of our groups this fall, We have existing life groups that are already in motion. Some of them have room. You could join them. We have four new pop-up groups that are going to start and exist for the seven weeks of this series. You could sign up to join sort of a short-term small group that studies Revelation, studies Jesus together. Or you could join one of our coffee clubs. They're small, small groups, just you and one or two others. And each week of this series, we're going to supply discussion questions that you can take with you home and dialogue in coffee clubs, pop-up groups, and life groups. Where does more courage come from? I happen to believe with a strong conviction as you're sitting in a tight circle with a few other people from this room. God is with you. He said where two or three are gathered, I'm, I'm with you. He's with you when you're by yourself, but there's a unique way he makes his presence known when we are together. As we close the message today, I did okay on time today, Laura. Yeah, she's thankful. (laughs) As we close today, two things. When it says in the text, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That word breathed, there's a Greek word that's utilized there. It's the only time in the whole New Testament that that Greek word is used. John selects it very intentionally. It's a unique, powerful word. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament was originally written in the language of Hebrew. But for early Christians, and even at the time leading up to Christ, when the language of the day was Greek, the Jewish authorities translated the Old Testament into Greek. It's called what we call today the Septuagint. If you look in the Septuagint, that same word that John uses there Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Guess where it shows up? Genesis 2. God forms Adam and breathes into him. Who can breathe life into creation, friends? Not a good teacher, not just a rabbi, not just a kind of trendy social justice guy named Jesus. The living God, Yahweh in flesh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Conquers the grave and says, remember the creation story where God breathed life into humanity and brokenness because of your own independence spilled and spread around the world. Guess what? I've died for you. I've risen from the grave. I've conquered death and whew, received the Holy Spirit. New creation begins now. Only one in all of universal existence had the authority to do that. and It was Jesus. Stunning. Now, in Genesis 3, there's something interesting. It says, you remember when Adam and Eve ate of the tree and they realized that was bad, we're in trouble, and they go hide. Uh, it says in the, most translators would translate it this way, that in the evening or in the cool of the day, God came along walking, right? Now, what translators have turned into in the cool of the day, it was their best attempt to understand the usage of the Hebrew word ruach, which means wind. Wind which means spirit. The word for wind and spirit are the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well, actually, in Greek. And so there's this other very interesting wind concept. You see in John 20, Jesus is breathing and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 3, when humanity was found in their guilt, there was a ruach, a wind that came. And in that moment, God was showing up and Essentially saying, consequences are now coming to you. And there will now be separation from me. But when, in John 20, Jesus breathes and they receive the Holy Spirit, it was God showing up again amongst his new creation and he was saying this time, the consequences, your consequences have come upon me. And the separation of relationship is no more. Relationship is restored. The second thing I wanna point out from this text, it says that they were huddled together in this room for what, fear of the Jews. The text doesn't say it, but I wanna tell you something else. There was something else those disciples were afraid of that day. Do you know what? Do you know who? They were afraid of Jesus. Why? What were their last moments with him like? They weren't all gathered around the cross, kneeling nicely and praying with halos over their head. You see, when they were in Gethsemane, and authorities showed up, it turned into mayhem, and they deserted Jesus. He went through the most difficult experience alone. Even his closest followers and friends denied him, deserted him. And how do you think they're feeling where all of a sudden he shows up in the room and they're like, Ooh, is this going to be awkward? Who talks first here? They're afraid of him. And friends, this is stunning. When humanity has done its work to desert and disown Jesus and he shows up, what's his message? He shows up talking about peace. He shows up talking about forgiveness. Friends, such is the grace of our Lord. Such is Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and worship in response.